0: If you are, uh, are new with us, too, and aren't familiar with Liberty Connect or the different kind of groups on there, like the Men's Link and Women's Link, there's an email address on the back of your bulletin. You just can send us an email. Let us know that you'd, be, you'd like to be included in those things, and we'll get you all set up um, with that. If you have Bibles, uh, go ahead and make your way to Psalm 107. Psalm 107, that's where we're going to be uh, in our teaching time today. If you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, page 506 uh, is where you will find Psalm 107. Over uh, the past uh, several months, maybe you've seen these, uh, Farmers Insurance, the company Farmers Insurance, they've been running a series of commercials about what they call the Hall of Claims. Anybody seen those? Familiar with that? Uh, Each one begins with the spokesman for farmers and another person walking through this giant hall of trophies, like a big trophy room, and, he, and the, the spokesman is saying, at Farmers, you know, we've seen almost everything, so we know how to cover almost anything. And then he goes on, he proceeds to, to share a, a really a crazy story of something that happened to a farmer's customer. So a couple of them, at least, that I've seen. There was one where a truck uh, falls through the ice as friends are ice, fish- ice fishing. They call it the truck sickle. Uh, there's one where a dog accidentally puts a car in drive and crashes the car while the owners are outside the car. Uh, there's one where a billy goat sees its own reflection in the side panel of the car and charges like it's another goat and charges right into the side panel and destroys the side of the car. Uh, there's one where there's a couple parked in a um, romantic spot overlooking the ocean, but then the tide comes in and their moonroof, their sunroof their moon sun is open, so it floods the car completely as the, as the waves crash over their car. Each of these commercials then ends with the spokesman saying, and we covered it, followed by the date... Uh, that that had happened in, in, um, in the history of farmer's insurance. Now, why might a marketing campaign like that be effective? Isn't it because of the promise that, that it implies? That whatever might happen, even these crazy things that might happen to you, they've got it taken care of, they've got it covered. Right? Any, any old insurance company can cover the normal stuff like fender benders, freezing pipes that burst in the winter. Any insurance company can cover stuff like that. But, but we've got you covered even in the crazy stuff, in, in whatever might come. And it's an even more effective message, at least in my opinion, because it's not theoretical. The whole premise of, of this idea of the hall of claims is that these are things that have already happened. They're, they're demonstrated ways that this insurance company has, has, has covered things that have happened like this. Me- the metaphor breaks down, but, but this is a little bit... Like what Psalm 107 is like. The psalmist in this psalm includes four scenes, four vignettes, where God's people have experienced a different kind of trouble. And as we, you'll hear as we read through it in just a moment, it's very varied. It's a varied, varied forms of trouble. But in those varied forms of trouble, there's this common response of crying out to God in the midst of that trouble. And then there's this common refrain about giving thanks to God for his love, and for his wondrous works. The occasion for this psalm uh, seems to be the return of God's people after they had been exiled in Babylon. So quick run through the history of that. After King David, after Solomon, the kingdom divides into north and south. Eventually, Assyria conquers the northern kingdom. Babylon conquers the southern kingdom. The people go into exile. After 70 years of exile, God brings them back. And so this psalm is really a celebration of that redemption. It's a song for the people of God to sing and sing together, and in singing together, to really rejoice that regardless of the specific type of trouble that they find themselves in, God's arm is not too short to save. God is able and willing and has redeemed them from, from that trouble. So as we read this, my bet is that one of these, maybe more than one, will especially resonate with you this morning. And maybe that's because you have experienced deliverance from a form of trouble similar to the one that we'll hear in Psalm 107. Or maybe this will resonate with you because you're in the midst of a, of a form of trouble very much like this. But in either case, the invitation to us in Psalm 107 is to attend to these things and to consider the steadfast love of God and his ability to redeem us from our troubles. So listen now with open ears to this book that we love, the 107th Psalm. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way, till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their distress, and he delivered them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield." By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Blessed are you, God our Father. For the testimonies of the prophets, we bless you. For the statutes of the law, we bless you. For the gospel of Christ, we bless you. For the witness of the apostles, we bless you. Grant that your spirit and the glory of your spirit might lead us to understand your word this morning, that we might read and hear and believe and know you as our God, the one who redeems. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So each section of Psalm 107 illustrates a different type of trouble experienced by some of God's people. We're going to look at each one, and then at the end, we'll attempt to bring them all all back together. So the four kinds of trouble are these. Wandering, imprisonment, folly, and powerlessness. Wandering, imprisonment, folly, and powerlessness. So first, there's wandering. Some are wanderers. One of the ways that, that you and I can experience a pretty strong cultural disconnect from Scripture and from the original audience of this psalm is that you and I lack a, a robust understanding and appreciation of place. We have much less a sense of place than men and women of generations gone by. Some of that for us is is Western individualism. Uh, Some of that is technology uh, that allows us to commute quickly and telecommute instantly. Some of that is our own fickleness and our own discontentment or our desire to, to create a significant life for ourselves, a desire to have some kind of adventure. But whatever it is, we are transient people. We're transient people. Uh, Real quick survey. How many of you are living in the same town, or let's say five to ten miles from where you were born? Show of hands. We got a few. Uh, How many of you are living in the same town where one or both of your parents are from, within, you know, ten miles or so of where your parents are from? Got a couple more? A grandparent or more than one grandparent? Got a couple? Okay, so this isn't fair. If I, This could go like 10 more generations and Colin Julius would still have his hand up. <laughs> Co- Colin's family lives on land given to them by William Penn's son. So he, he's been here a while. So we could, we could go on for, I'll stop, I'll stop, stop there. But you see, you saw how few hands that were, even for people that are, that are living in their own birthplace, right? It's not very many of us, we're transient people. And because we lack that sense of place, the magnitude of this kind of trouble, this kind of wandering, is really lost on us. The hunger and thirst part in this, in this part of the psalm, that feels like a big deal. Because even intuitively, if we've never experienced starvation or dehydration, things like that, intuitively, that, we know people need deliverance from, from that kind of trouble. But unless you've, you've ever been homeless, or unless uh, you've, been, you've been in some kind of vocation, like maybe the military, that have moved you around every few years... Very few of us understand the trouble that it is to be a wanderer. But think about the kind of crisis this would be for an Israelite, the original audience of this psalm. The story of the Israelites is that they wandered in the desert for 40 years after escaping slavery in Egypt. But then they were finally brought into this land that God had promised to Abraham so many centuries before. And they were made to, in that land that that they arrived in, they were made to be established and flourished and prosper there. But now they find themselves back in the desert. They find themselves back in the wilderness. They're scattered around the four points of the compass after they were captured and conquered by Assyria and Babylon. So for an Israelite, place is not only tied to your livelihood, you know, how you're providing for yourself and your family. For an Israelite, it's also the very fiber of your being. Your identity is caught up into your place. And so by definition, a wandering Israelite was an Israelite with an identity crisis. To wander would call into question who you are. It would call into question your your purpose in this world. It would even call into question the faithfulness of the very God whose chosen people you claim to be among. There is a unique form of soul weariness that comes with wandering. And if you've been particularly transient in the last several years of your life or maybe throughout your life, or even if you've lived in the same place for a decade or more, but have really struggled to own that as your home or your place, then I'm sure that you know something of what that soul weariness is like. Verse 5 in Psalm 107 says that their soul fainted within them. And that fascinates me because these men and women are hungry and they're thirsty, but it isn't their body that faints. It's their soul that faints. As much as you and I have a physiological need for food and water, we also have a psychological, a spiritual need for a home, for a place. So, as verse 6 says, they cry out to God in their trouble, and He delivers them from their distress. For the wanderer, the deliverance of God means leading them to a city to dwell in, it means giving them a place. It means restoring that unique form of soul satisfaction that comes when there is rootedness to a place. And so the psalmist calls them to rejoice, to thank God for that redemption, specifically that is a home. No matter how much technology has improved or changed things for us, we cannot escape this need. Unless, unless you are among the very select few, like the Apostle Paul, who are called by God to spend maybe a year or two in any one given place and then keep on moving for the sake of the gospel. There's a few people that have that calling. The vast majority do not. And so unless you are among those people, we, we should desire and pursue deep roots that keep us from wandering like this. And, and if you find yourself this morning Resonating with this, if you, if you feel to be a placeless wanderer this morning, I just would invite you and call you, cry, call you, cry out to God in your trouble. Cry out to God in your trouble. Ask him to deliver you from this distress that is wandering. Ask him to give you or restore to you a sense of place. And maybe and probably the reality is some of you will find that elsewhere, and it might not be here. But maybe also some of you will find that Here. And that you'll truly make this home. You'll come to love and appreciate this place that God has put you with a new sense of appreciation and with a rejoicing that it's part of God's redemption to give you a place. When he does give you that city to dwell in, whether it's here or elsewhere, rejoice in your redemption. Second second form of trouble in Psalm 107, imprisonment. Starting in verse 10, some are prisoners. And it's important to note here that, that these aren't innocent prisoners. right? They're in prison, as the psalmist says in verse 11, because they've rebelled against the word of God. They've spurned the counsel of the Most High. A couple weeks ago, I was in a rental car driving around with a few pastors, and we were using the car's built-in GPS system. When the GPS was running in this particular car, in order to turn off that GPS system, you had to push a button that said, stop guidance on it. So of all the different word choices you could use there, it wasn't like end or exit or power off. It was like the GPS was going to make you fully acknowledge and own that you were going to trust your own sense of direction rather than a, a satellite mapping system. You had to push a button that said stop guidance. And because it was a car full of pastors, you're like, you knew this was going to be a sermon illustration. You just knew. So one of the other guys in the car within like a couple minutes was like, you know, I think a lot of people in my church have pushed that button in, in, their, own, in their own life. And we all do, right? We all do. We all push that button. That's what sin is. It's to spurn the counsel of God. It's to spurn the guidance of God. It's to reject God's wisdom. And that leads us to shackles and slavery. It leads to imprisonment. For us, that's figurative. Most of us, I don't know all of your stories, but for most of us, that's figurative. But this part of Psalm 107 is a great illustration for the guilt and the condemnation of sin that enslaves us. For the Israelites, though, the original audience of the psalm, this was literal. They rejected God, and they rejected God's leadership. The kings and the prophets of God's people went their own way, and they led the people astray after them. And so as a consequence, God raised up other nations like Assyria and like Babylon to conquer them, who then deported some, who imprisoned others, and made slave laborers out out of others. So as verse 13 says, they find themselves in prison, what do they do? They cry out to God in their trouble. And he delivers them from their distress. So for the prisoner, God's deliverance means liberation. God raised up another, yet another world power, the Persian Empire, and another king, Cyrus, to conquer Babylon, who then set the Israelites free. And they get to return from their prisons. Their bonds are burst apart. I don't know where you find yourself this morning, but perhaps some of you feel imprisoned like this. You feel the weight of guilt and of shame and of condemnation of sin. You you feel the weight of your rebellion against God. And maybe you feel like the prisoners here sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death with your heart bowed down. Know this. Whatever led you there, there is no kind of prison, not even a prison of your own making, that God cannot break you out of. There is no type of guilt, there is no type of condemnation that God cannot eradicate through his redemptive work. There's a reason that one of the primary pictures of sin in scripture is that of slavery. And there's also a reason that one of the primary pictures of salvation in scripture is liberation. Right, The liberation specifically that is purchased through the death and resurrection of Jesus. God shatters doors of bronze as if they were glass. And he cuts through bars of iron as if they were butter. So even though you and I are guilty, that's the reason we find ourselves in prison like this. God does not require that we live a prisoner's life or carry around a prisoner's guilt indefinitely. In Romans 8, instead we read, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, if you feel that guilt and that condemnation, that weight of sin in your life this morning, join those who, for centuries, have cried out to God in their distress and experienced the specific kind of redemption it is to be free from condemnation of sin, to be free from that kind of slavery. Third is folly. Another kind of trouble is folly, starting in verse 17. Some are fools. If the the prisoner is a picture of the guilt and the condemnation of sin, then the fools are really a good picture of the consequences and the effects of sin. So folly or, or foolishness is not just kind of silliness or immaturity, the way we might use those words in our language. Folly in Scripture is really the specific kind of stupidity that lives life as if there is no God. Folly, that's the essence of folly or foolishness according to Psalms and Proverbs, is to live your life as if there is no God. And to live that way, to live as if there is no God, has really detrimental consequences and ripple effects. And often those consequences and ripple effects just continue to spiral downward. We don't know the specific kinds of afflictions that these men and women are experiencing here that the psalmist references in this section. Whatever they are, though, it spirals downward. These men and women begin to loathe food, and it spirals down to the point where they almost starve themselves to death. Pastor and an author named Tim Keller speaks about how, as human beings, we have a perennial determination to get hurt. A perennial determination to get hurt. Uh, another way to say that would be: we're really good at self sabotage. We're really good at at messing up our own lives. And one of the ways that we do that that's deceptive is we convince ourselves that that this form of leisure or rest or escape, that's going to help us cope with the difficulty of life. So let's buy this, let's drink that, let's take this, let's, let's look at that. But because it's not actual rest, which can only be found really in communion with God, in relationship with God, when we start to live as if God doesn't exist, right? the essence of folly... We only proceed further and further down these destructive, self-sabotaging roads. The fools, and maybe, this, maybe you heard this as we read this passage a little while ago, the fools described in this part of Psalm 107, they sound like addicts. They sound like addicts. And some of you here this morning are, are well acquainted with what it's like to be an addict, to experience and suffer from addiction. But even if you've never been formally diagnosed with an addiction or never acknowledged an addiction in your own life, before you write this off as as someone else's kind of trouble, don't miss the proclivity to addiction that is present in your life right now. Don't miss the proclivity to addiction that's present in your own life. There are some kinds of addiction that have especially detrimental effects. Alcohol, drugs, gambling, different forms of sexual addiction, That's why, in in our society, those addictions have the stigma that they do, and it's why they have all the kinds of support and help that they do, support groups and counseling specialties and all kinds of things like that. But you can be just as addicted to things that don't have that stigma. You can be just as addicted to work or to TV or to your hobby, whatever that might be, or to sleep, or to approval from other people or to buying stuff, right? Whatever things, this is where this is deceptive, whatever things you and I look to for leisure or for rest or for a break from the hardships of life, it's those very things where the line between enjoying a good gift of God and being destructively indulgent and becoming addicted, that line is razor thin. So here's, here's another way to think of it. We are all fools, we are all fools. We have all been fools. We have all chosen our own way and functionally lived our lives as if there is no God. Right? Maybe in this moment you're really aware of a part of your life that right now you're functionally living as if there is no God. Well, addicts are only fools who insist they can deal with the consequences of their folly themselves. That's what an addict is. We're all fools. Addicts are just fools that think they can deal with the ripple effects and the consequences themselves. And what we're called to do instead in Psalm 107 is to cry out to God in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our folly. And not to do what we're more inclined to do and is to take it in our own hands and to persist acting like God doesn't exist. Right? We can't keep doing that. that. That's really what got us into this trouble in the first place. And so if that's where you find yourself today, in the midst of an addiction, whether it's one of the ones with a big social stigma or not, Don't try to right the ship yourself and then come to God. That's that's really a surefire way to cement yourself in the downward spiral of self-sabotage. It just continues you living and acting functionally as if there is no God. So instead, follow the refrain of the psalm and cry out to God in the midst of your trouble. Ask him to deliver you from your distress. As a real specific way to do that, invite other people into that mess with you. Don't attempt to go about that alone. Ask for help. For the fool, God's deliverance doesn't just mean forgiveness from the guilt and the condemnation of sin. It also means healing and restoration from sin's effects. For addicts, that doesn't necessarily mean immediate healing and freedom. Often it doesn't mean immediate healing and freedom. Almost certainly the the road to healing and freedom for an addict is long. There's a lot of physiological and chemical and, and psychological kinds of things tied up in that. But what I would say to you is don't only look to medicine. Don't only look to rehab or counseling or support groups. Truly cry out to God in your trouble. Plead with him to deliver you from your distress. And when he does bring deliverance, be it miraculously all at once or incrementally in small steps over time, then rejoice in your redemption. Fourth and final type of trouble in this psalm is powerlessness. Powerlessness. This last vignette that starts there in verse 23, it's one of sailors who are caught up in a storm. And unlike the the last two that we've looked at, unlike prisoners and fools, their trouble that they find themselves in, that's not a consequence of their rebellion. But nevertheless, they find themselves in incredible danger. They're at the mercy of forces that are outside of themselves. Storms like this, and I mean literally the natural disasters, those storms, shatter humanity's illusions of power and control. They always have, and they always will. No matter how much as a society, no matter how much as we advance and grow and technology improves things, there is nothing like a tsunami or a hurricane or a tornado or an earthquake or a flood or whatever it is to reveal in an instant how limited our control really is. When it says there in verse 27 that these sailors were at their wit's end, the original Hebrew for that phrase literally means that all of their wisdom was swallowed up. So storms swallow up human wisdom. They swallow up human ability. They obliterate our overconfidence in ourselves. They remind us immediately of our dependence. So at this point, for these sailors, there is nothing left to do but to cry out to God. And what's interesting is that we are meant to do that no matter what kind of trouble comes our way. That's the refrain of this psalm. But the hidden gift of this form of trouble, the hidden gift of powerlessness is that it leaves you with only one option. So as verse 28 says, these sailors cry out to God in their trouble, and he delivers them from their distress. For the powerless, God's deliverance means rescue. It means being brought to safe haven on quiet waters. But don't miss this, right? It's rescue with a newfound sense of your limitedness and dependence, Deliverance for the powerlessness isn't power, it's dependence. It's dependence. There's a newfound desire to praise God. There's a newfound need even to cry out in praise and thanksgiving to God because you cannot take any credit yourself. Where do you find yourself at the mercy of things you cannot control this morning? Where do you today find yourself at the mercy of things that you cannot control? could be a lot of things. Could be jobs, job markets, could be health issues, can also be relational. And as your pastor invited into so many of your lives, kind of hearing common themes that are running through our lives right now, maybe it's even a relationship with an adult child or a child that's nearing adulthood. And maybe as their parent, you observe their life and they, their life looks a lot like the fools does in this psalm, right? They're, they're making a mess of their own lives. And because you're their parent and because you love them and because you want good things for them, you keep trying to solve that for them by asserting some kind of control, by inserting yourself into their life in some way. I'm not questioning the intention of your heart as you do that. But what if instead of attempting one more heroic effort to gain back some semblance of control, what if in that moment you leaned into your powerlessness? What if you allowed that to finally bring you to the end of yourself and you cried out to God with a newfound sense of desperation in the midst of that trouble? He may not answer you the way that you want him to. He may not answer immediately. But leaning into your powerlessness even if it doesn't bring deliverance for your loved son or daughter, it will bring deliverance for you. Why? Because there's a peace and there is a freedom and ability to rejoice in God that is only possible when we become intimately acquainted with our limitedness and dependence. And so crying out to God in your powerlessness, even if it doesn't bring the deliverance you hope to see in the life of your son or daughter, it'll bring deliverance for your own life. Now, whichever part of of Psalm 107 is resonating with you today, here's what we all need to see. There are widely varied troubles in this life. And some of them are due to no fault of our own. The wanderers and the sailors, the powerless in this psalm, there's no guilt and blame attached to the trouble that they find themselves in. Other troubles, like the prisoner and the fool, they're directly connected to their rebellion Against God. So, at least a significant portion of the trouble, the mess that they find themselves in, is their own fault. But regardless of why these men and women are in the situations that they are in, the refrains are exactly the same. They cry to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivers them from their distress, and they thank the Lord for His steadfast love for His wondrous works to the children of man. So, there are varied troubles, but there is a common response. And there's a common refrain. And what that means is that God's love and God's goodness is present and working regardless of why and how we find ourselves in the circumstances that we are in. A scholar named Michael Wilcock puts it this way. He said, we may be lost, trapped, diseased, or overwhelmed. It may be our own fault or it may not The Lord may seem to us kind or cruel. Good things happen and bad things happen, but ultimately, God is good. What's even more encouraging to me, this is not just a psalm of hope for you and I in in the varied kinds of troubles that you and I will experience throughout the course of our lives. This is a historical survey of the ways that God has brought deliverance to his people throughout the generations. So this isn't, theoretical or hypothetical. This isn't the insurance company saying like, hey, when something bad happens, I can probably take care of that. This is what God has done. This is the story of God's people. So God's people have been and they will be wanderers. And God's people have been and they will be prisoners. God's people have been and they will be fools. And God's people have been and they will be powerless. And time and time again, God hears the cries of their people in whatever form of trouble that is, and he brings redemption. And this is the reason the psalmist concludes the way he does. It's a word to the wise. It's what he says Whoever is wise, attend to these things and consider the steadfast love of God. Here's another way to say that People of God, own your story people of God, own your story because it's a lot bigger than you. Find your solidarity with, find your place among those who have gone before you. Who who are we? Well, in Christ, we are the redeemed of the Lord. We are among those loved with the steadfast love of God. So this story is really our story. That's the beauty of singing a psalm like this that recounts the wondrous works of God. It's not just preparing us for what might come in our lives. It's celebrating what God has already done. As one scholar puts it, When Israel came out of Egypt, I was there. And when the exiles came back from Babylon, I came too. Because the church of God has been found, freed, healed, and rescued. Then as a member of it, so have I. So think about God's redemption throughout history. Right? Israel's redemption finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And then the gospel spreads throughout the Mediterranean and eventually to Rome and then eventually to Europe, and then eventually to the Americas. And whether it was through immigrants that landed here, or whether it's through the Great Awakening, or Methodist circuit riders, it eventually lands in central Pennsylvania. And then it lands in your family, or if your family's from another place, it lands in your family. Whoever first came to faith in your own ancestry. Or maybe you're the first one in your family to come to know Jesus, to trust in Jesus. And if that's you... Or if all of this idea is completely new to you, then welcome to a family that is greater and so much bigger than your own. You have roots that go so much deeper than yourself. And you have so much more redemption to rejoice in than your own story. And this is why, as a church, things like baptism, things like Covenant Entrance Day, which we'll celebrate in a couple weeks, it's why they're so meaningful. When we celebrate these things, it's not just about that one person's life. When we baptize someone, when we welcome someone into covenant, it's retelling the story of the people of God through this one little vignette of this person's life. And we're retelling the story of God, of God's people who who from the moment that sin entered the world, God became a God of redemption and came after his people in their brokenness, in their trouble, and brought them back a God who hears the cries of his people and delivers them out of their distress. So may we own our story as the people of God, and may we rejoice in it. I would call you to set aside time today or this week to attend to these things, to meditate upon the ways that God has brought redemption, yes, in your own life, but also in the history of his people. And as you meditate on these things, don't remain silent about them. Speak of this redemption to one another. Remind one another of the great story that you and I are caught up into. Remind one another of the goodness of our God who redeems and delivers like this. And speak of this redemption to our world, to those who know nothing of it yet, because even if they know nothing of it yet, they desperately need it too. Truly, God has redeemed and is redeeming and will redeem. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are the author of our salvation, and you, through Christ, have worked a redemption that baffles our minds. We cannot comprehend the depth of your steadfast love and mercy that delivers us from our trouble. May we look to the past And have greater confidence that you do deliver us from trouble. And you do redeem your people. In our present, may you meet us in our trouble. May we cry out to you with a new sense of dependence today. May you deliver us. Whatever that form of deliverance looks like in the kind of trouble we are in. May you bring your deliverance to us. And may we know with confidence that it is not our own doing, but it is yours. And may you give us confident hope in whatever trouble comes our way in the days to come, that this is who you are, God. You are the God who redeems. And you will continue that great work of redemption until it is complete when Jesus comes again. We pray this in your great name. Amen. Amen. Each week we celebrate